0: Record collections and recollections. Out of the box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio.
1: Hey, Mia Hull with you on the podcast, streaming online or live on your radio from midday to one. This is Out of the Box. Every week I get to delve into the record collection of one person and talk about the stories that come with it. If you notice the below average audio quality today, it's because my guest and I are each recording from our homes. I'm coming to you from land belonging to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And my guest is joining me from land belonging to the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge that this broadcast is coming to you from unceded Aboriginal land and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Today, my guest is Phil Ferguson. Phil is the 28-year-old Melbourne-based artist you might know on Instagram as Chili Philly. Their crochet creations have earned them about 140,000 followers, as well as some coveted spots on our TV screens. But radio is audio, and while we can't see their art today, we can listen to Phil talk about their creations and their life and their practice and the songs that have soundtracked the big moments. Thanks so much for jumping on the show today, Phil.
0: No, thank you. This is a good, good lockdown activity to be doing. I'm looking forward to it.
1: So, yeah, crochet takes up a a, a big part of your life. I'm looking at you right now wearing a beautiful crochet jumper. (laughs) Where, Where were you in life when you first started to take interest in art?
0: Art's always been a thing in my life. I can't imagine any point in time where I was never creative, never making things, never being fiddly with craft, like, I don't know, it's just really bizarre to think about, especially now that I've made it my career and my whole being, I guess. And so, yeah, like, ever since I was really young, I've always had that interest and, you know, I was always the art kid at school. I was never not that.
1: What what does that interest look like when you're a little kid? Were you crocheting from the get-go?
0: I guess I grew up in country, southwest WA, and so, you know, I feel like the idea of craft was just always around, you know, there was always things that people used to create, craft, all this sort of stuff, um, sewing machines, knitting needles, wool, yarn, all that sort of stuff. And so I just feel like the environment I was around always just had that stuff. And I don't know, I never, I've never, i never lived in a world without it.
1: Was your family home a space that nurtured your art making?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like growing up, um, my whole family is generally pretty creative. We're mainly a family of sort of, journos and media sort of people and so the idea of being a creative and sort of creating a career out of it was always a thing that um, I always had in mind that I was going to do. But yeah, my mum and dad, my sisters, um, we all were open to the idea of being creative in whatever way was possible and being really interested in sort of narratives and telling stories and all that sort of stuff.
1: You mentioned that you'd grown up in Southwest WA. Were your parents working in very creative careers there?
0: I think my dad worked at a coal mine and my mum was a stay-at-home mum. So I think growing up... And so where we lived was, like, a really, really small town with not that many people. So we had all the space in the world. We had all the sort of ability to do whatever we wanted there. Um, yeah, it was. it was actually... I think in retrospect, I'm pretty fortunate to have lived the upbringing that I had only because, you know, I did have the freedom to sort of be able to do whatever I wanted. Like I wasn't one of the kids with the dirt bike sort of revving around the place necessarily. Um, We had a paddock. I ran around. I made things. I don't know. I think growing up somewhere like that, without having sort of so many people around you and living in living in close proximity to everybody really did allow sort of us to be able to want to do what we wanted, but also because it's so isolating, you don't want to do things that mean that you could have to step out of the town to go do things. So I don't know.
1: But eventually you all stepped out of town permanently. You moved to Perth. What was the reason for the move?
0: The thing is my sisters are both eight and 10 years older than me. So when they turned 18 and 21. They moved out as soon as they could. And so it was just me and mum and dad. And then mum and dad both got jobs in Perth. And so uh, when I was in year nine, uh, found out the day before the first day of school that I was going to school in Perth. And then, yeah, where it was just magically in Perth ever since. Was there
1: a reason that you only found out the day
0: before you started? They, I don't, I actually have. No idea why they did that. It was pretty traumatic um, because, yeah, next minute I was at this new school um, and going from a small town school where our year group only had, like, 10, 12 people to now uh, a year group that had, like, four different houses and each class had 25 or whatever the hell amount there was. That was very confronting and I don't know, I just was not expecting that.
1: Yeah, zero time to mentally prepare for that. Oh,
0: fully. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> and you ended up in even bigger space than that afterwards because you went to uni in Perth as well. Tell me about that experience.
0: So when I went to uni, I did it with the intent of uh, wanting to be an art teacher. So I studied fine art at Curtin and I wanted to sort of, you know, do my three years and then do a thing of education. Um, but one of the best things about when I was at uni was that I was simultaneously working at the Art Gallery of WA and I was working at the front of house and, you know, seeing sort of people coming in and appreciating what should be considered good art or art that's put in an institution or whatever. And so I was super fortunate that while I was studying I had this sort of perspective of this is what informs good contemporary art and these are the things you have to be thinking about and all that sort of stuff, while simultaneously working in an environment where, you know, I'm just seeing punters come in and see art and they would come back to us and tell us their opinions on art that was 50 years old as if it was made yesterday. And so... It was really interesting to sort of have all those different perspectives because that is what has informed what I do today. Uh, Craft aside, all that sort of sensibility that I learned when I was at uni, I have applied to my career.
1: What do you mean by that? Sorry, I just want to dig into that a little bit further. You're talking about, you know, what informs good contemporary art versus the dialogue you're hearing from punters in a gallery space. Are you critical of them doing that? Or do you think that that has a negative impact on contemporary art?
0: No, not at all. Like punters coming into an art gallery, that's an audience, you know, and that is something that everybody should be really conscious of. It's just kind of really interesting because it's one thing to sort of create work that will get appreciated by people who, have that fundamental understanding of how you got to that point. So, you know, creating art for an art crowd is one thing. Creating art for the general audience is a complete other thing. And sometimes they may or may not actually cross over. One of the things that, you know, I realised sort of talking to punters coming into the art gallery was like, they just want to see a nice painting or they want to see something that looks like it's been worked on. For hours, like they want to have something that they can appreciate on a real base level because they're not coming to the art gallery to deconstruct meaning from things. They want to be visually stimulated and enjoy things on that level um, in the same way that, you know, people want to go to a movie or go to a concert. They want to, you know, just intake that information that's immediately being fed to them. They don't want to have to read into deeper meanings unless it's there And so, yeah, so that sort of understanding that, you know, some people will appreciate that deeper sort of thought process you had, but also people will appreciate the initial aesthetics, that initial emotional response and, you know, all that sort of stuff. All of that is what I apply to what I do now.
1: I'm really interested in that dichotomy that your audience might be people who view your work through you know, an artistic lens, or it might just be the general public who want to see something that's satisfying and beautiful Mm -hmm. to look at. I want to circle back to that. Mm -hmm. When you arrived at the idea that art takes those two avenues, how did that impact your dreams of becoming an art teacher?
0: I think I thought being an art teacher was going to be sort of a practical use of that career path, I guess, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, so the reason why I guess I didn't necessarily commit to it was because, one, because I moved. And so that completely sort of threw that out the window for a period of time. But also, at that point in time, I didn't necessarily foresee my career path going the way it did. And also, like, I just never thought that I would actually be a practicing artist as my career which sounds really silly now because I've been doing it for so long. But I'm such a person that if I have an idea and I know how to sort of take the steps to get to that point, then I will do it. But it's very hard for me to sort of go on the fly with something that I know will be long-term. And so it wasn't until I had the idea for Chili Philly that I took being an artist really seriously. But up until that point, I never had the vision to sort of just be an artist.
1: And for the next part of the show, we will talk about taking the vision of Chili Philly seriously and what it means to be a practising artist. But first, I want to play a song from this period in your life, Phil. You've chosen a track by the Veronicas for the show today. Tell me about this one.
0: So I decided to pick Untouched by the Veronicas. If I was going to pick a song that embodied the time I was ever in Perth, especially just being, you know, a teen to early adult. I'd probably say that. It's just kind of funny because at the time, I knew that, you know, people really liked that song. But as I've gotten into an adult and, you know, it plays at a club, everybody goes off on it. And it's just really crazy that everybody also liked it. I don't know. There's just something about that song that at the time, I didn't think everybody loved it, but everybody really froths that song. And, um, yeah it's just really interesting i don't know it really really embodies that sort of teenage time
1: i don't think i've had a guest on this show say they've frosted a song before
0: i have no idea where i got it got it from i said it on tv as well like i don't know
1: oh i'm so happy to get to play this on fbi radio 94.5 thanks to my guest on the show today phil ferguson it's untouched by the veronicas the Veronica's and untouched on out of the box right now I'm joined by Phil Ferguson who you might know on Instagram as Chili Philly Phil before you were talking about your time studying in Perth and you mentioned a move where'd you move to
0: so I actually hadn't fully finished uni after my three years I think I had two units left um, but me and my friend um, came to Melbourne uh, to visit my sister uh, for the summer and you know after sort of essentially finishing uni, like we did our grad show, we did all that sort of stuff, uh me and my friend we were both at that same part of our life where we we needed change, we needed to sort of move on from sort of being in WA. And because we did have family in Melbourne, it just made it really easy for us to decide to just do it. Um and obviously for me everybody was so encouraging of it. Uh Melbourne is the place for where I would flourish in the art world. And so, yeah, I just, it was a spontaneous decision, but I'm so glad I made it.
1: So I guess moving to Melbourne represented the birth of your chili Philly Instagram handle. I get the impression that it represents a little bit more than just an Instagram page though. Am I right in saying that?
0: Yeah, oh, fully. I would say that my Instagram account definitely embody so much of me in ways that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think or realise. I never really get the opportunity to necessarily break down my thought process and why I do do the things I do because I think a lot of people do just see it initially as someone who makes crochet work. It's funny and that's enjoyable and that's kind of it. But I would say that I do put a lot of thought into it. And I I think it's, is a product of me.
1: So going back to what you were saying before about those two avenues for art making and how you can make it for art people, you can make it for the general public. Where do you think Chili Philly fits into that?
0: One of the things that I always get asked is like, did you ever think that your Instagram would ever be as popular as it was? And the thing I always say is that I always did think it would be, it just happened a lot sooner than I thought. And that's because when I started it, I was so conscious of building up an audience based off the qualities of the work I was doing and the reason why I did certain things. So, you know, like I was saying before, people want to see something that's been worked on. So picking a thing like crochet, that is a process that people understand takes time. That, that will initially be read as, you know, that's, that's been something that's been worked on, um... I picked a theme that was accessible. It wasn't crazy, quirky, uh, you know, abstract shapes and stuff like that. It was food, it was objects. It was things that people could identify themselves. Um, I made them wearable. I I wore them myself, like I am my own model. Um, I take the photos myself, I do the videos myself. And it's just like, people find that humorous. Like I know what I look like. I know how that would read to other people. And so, yeah, all of these little things I knew would appeal to that sort of larger audience. But like I'm saying, like, I have been very conscious of all the elements and how those would resonate and why that would read to other people. So, you know, on one end, yes, I have catered my work to sort of appeal to a larger audience. But I think that conscious decision making I've made to get to where I am has been the result of being taught to be a contemporary artist.
1: You mentioned before that you expected the Instagram page to blow up, but you didn't expect (laughs) it to blow up as quickly as it did. Walk me through that experience. What was that explosive growth like? Yeah,
0: so I always did crochet when I was at uni, but it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne that I had the idea of creating wearable pieces. And so I moved in March 2014 and I'd been dabbling in wearing, making wearable pieces in like May-ish or whatever. And then when I had the idea to make an Instagram account, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to take all these photos, la, la, la. That was August. And then the turnaround for attention, like as in actual press, was October. And so in a really short period of time, Um, I had to basically commit to making things weekly and posting things and, you know, talking about what I do and all that sort of stuff.
1: During this explosive period, you were making one piece a week. Is that just continuously working on a piece or is that fitting around a job as well?
0: So when I first started, I was working a hospo job where I was basically doing it from lunch to dinner. Um, and so, and that was from every Tuesday to Saturday. And so we only, we had, luckily for us, we had two set days off a week. And when I first moved, I wasn't a social butterfly like I am now. So like, I didn't have much to be doing on my days off other than visit my sister. So I, yeah, basically just spent my two days off crocheting and sort of doing that every week, um, That was why I did get into the habit of being able to post things weekly, because I think I generally posted them around the same days. But yeah, it's just kind of one of those things where I think having that structure really did allow me to sort of have that time to set aside and make things and do things, especially when you're new, you don't know what to do around a city. So why not just spend time by yourself? Um, can't say that now, like, I feel like I, when I have a day off, I'd probably want to do 500 different things, but being in lockdown right now has been a very minimal adjustment for me because basically when I've been a freelance artist, I've spent all my days at home, sitting around crocheting, barely doing anything. So this is, other than not being able to go out on a Thursday night, this has basically been no different. (laughs)
1: It's like a mad throwback for you. Um. In 2017, you have your first solo exhibition at the Australian Design mm. Centre in Sydney. Mm. Tell me yeah. about
0: that. Yeah, well, that it was kind of funny because I had pieces in sort of group shows and stuff like that before. And I, I like it sounds really lame, but like I, I never have been someone to sort of apply for things in that way. So I never was like, I'm going to have an exhibition this year let's approach spaces or let's find a space that I can have an exhibition in. I've only ever sort of taken the opportunities that have come to me. And so when I got approached for that, I was like, oh my God, I get to have my own exhibition. <laughs> like it was probably way long overdue, but in saying that, like it was, it was something that I feel like definitely needed to have happened Um, by that point. Yeah, it was great, but it was just kind of interesting. Cause I think at that point in time, because I'd been doing it for three years I had also sort of reached a sort of point which the hat-making specifically had almost run its course. Like, I still make hats now, but I'd made so many. um, It was all I had done. um, And so having an exhibition to finally sort of put uh, a bookend on that body of work was so exciting to me because then I could say, this is this body of work, and now I'm going to move on and do whatever else I want to do in the future. And so, yeah, I approached it in two ways. It was my first exhibition. It was great to put my work out there, but it was also great to sort of have a pinpoint to which I say, I'm going to now develop my stuff further beyond this point.
1: And let's talk about what developing your stuff further beyond that point looked like. What did you go on to create Mm. after that exhibition?
0: Well, at that time, I was really interested in sort of making things bigger and focusing more on sort of making full outfits, because, you know, it was always one thing to have a hat, but it was another thing to have something to wear with it, essentially. Like, a full experience as opposed to just the head. And especially because at that point I started getting asked to do a lot more sort of appearances and lots of, you know, things that involved me physically being there instead of just doing social media posts. And so at that point in time it was really easy for me to sort of, say, hey, I need to start making full outfits. I need to start going bigger with this. Um, making things on a smaller scale is great. But for what I want to potentially do in the future, which involves, you know, me physically going to do things, I need to, you know, have a full look going on. So, yeah, that was where I wanted to go with it after that point.
1: It's like the natural transgression almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, fully
1: Phil, you've chosen a Taylor Swift song to play on FBI today. (laughs) Tell me about
0: this one. So the song I picked is Shake It Off. When I first moved to Melbourne and was going on dates and sort of starting my career and all this art stuff, I don't know. There was something about this song that weirdly spoke to me. Um, And so I've always really strongly associated it with that period of time when I first moved. And also, I think it was a bit of, like, Taylor Swift's new version of herself as well, which was a big deal at the time.
1: My ex-man brought his new girlfriend, she's like, oh my god,
0: I'm just gonna shake into the fella over there with the hella good hair, won't you come on over, baby, we can shake, shake, shake. Yeah, cause yeah. the
1: If you're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or if you're streaming on the website, that was Taylor Swift. The song was called Shake It Off and you heard it right here on Out of the Box where I'm joined by Phil Ferguson. Phil, before that song we talked about your move to Melbourne and the growth of your platform as a practising artist. Your move to Melbourne saw other parts of your life evolve as well. You've called it a gay awakening. Yeah. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of funny because, like I was saying before, like a lot of my work sort of is an extension of me as a person. And one of the things that I kind of always get really baffled by, but then it's sort of really obvious why people wouldn't necessarily think in that way, is that like I, when I first wanted to make these wearable pieces, it was because I wanted to do drag. And so at the time, um, I got really into drag race, like RuPaul's drag race. And I was like, you know what I can perform. I can, you know, be a person on stage and wear these crazy outfits and whatever. And so sort of the idea of me wearing these things that I've made was actually to do drag, which I think not everybody would have thought that's what I was doing it for, but that's why I was doing it. Um, but also just like, When I moved to Melbourne, uh, I kind of mentioned it just before, but, you know, I was going on a lot of dates and, you know, meeting a whole bunch of people. And one of the things I realised was that, you know, I was just meeting all these people, but I hadn't actually been meeting people that I had a lot in common with or even sort of uh, came from the same world as me, especially in terms of art. And so sort of moving to Melbourne, all of that happening and then deciding, have and then having created these sort of objects, that's why I started my Instagram initially, was this idea of sort of meeting new people through the stuff I did. And because this stuff was, you know, what I would say was from my own heart and brain and soul, you know, hopefully the people I meet through it are like-minded and they're going to be people that I would actually really appreciate. And so sort of, putting myself out there and sort of taking those slow steps towards sort of embracing my real self would only have come about if I hadn't have, I mean, if I had have moved to Melbourne.
1: When you talk about embracing your true self, you don't identify with a gender now. Yeah. Is that something that you were discovering when you first moved to Melbourne?
0: The reason why I go by, uh, I identify as non-binary is because, One of the things that I got out of sort of getting an audience through what I do is that I found a lot of self-worth in the fact that people appreciated what I do and what I create and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't because necessarily um, it was necessarily gendered or anything like that, but people enjoy the fact that, you know, I am wearing this like salad dress or watermelon dress or all these sorts of little things. And while I do understand that, you know, I am playing with those gender roles, what it made me realise was that I can relinquish that sort of ideal on my, on myself and be a lot more comfortable with the fact that I can do those things uh, without sort of uh, feeling like I can only do it in this one capacity, I guess, in terms of, like, doing it just as an artist. I can apply that to now my real self and realise that, you know... All the little things that, you know, I can't relate to in terms of being, quote unquote, a man or masculine. um, I don't need to necessarily say identify in that way. So, yeah, so like because of the self-worth I found through my work, you know, I realized that I didn't need to be anything other than myself. And whatever makes me most comfortable is what I'm going to sort of be. (laughs)
1: I want to circle back to what you said before about closing the hats era of your practice and moving towards, you know, making entire outfits. Does drag play into that?
0: Well, it's just kind of funny because because when I started, obviously I did it with the intent of doing drag, but because of the audience I built really quickly. So I went viral by the time it was December. And I think within under a year, I'd gotten 100,000 followers on Instagram, which At the time, yes, these days, you know, people can go viral for all sorts of things and get a huge audience. But seven years ago, Instagram was such a simple platform. It was just photos and you just liked them. There was no videos, there was no stories, there was none of that. And so for me to have achieved that, they made me verified, like all that sort of stuff was just the natural course. But to maintain it, I just had to continue posting hats and all this sort of stuff and so the idea of drag and performing sort of fell by the wayside. Like it just never came to be at that time. But what I discovered was that I did like the idea still of putting myself out there. So, you know, I liked the idea of, you know, presenting things and hosting things and all that sort of stuff, basically embodying the brand and the persona of Chili Philly, which came to be because everybody kept calling me Chili Philly and that was just my username. And everybody still asks me what my real name is, and Phil is in Philly, so I don't know where, why, where that comes from. But um, it's just one of those things where I realise I, I do like the idea of performing, but maybe not necessarily on stage. And, you know, I have performed on stage before since then, but doing that a few times has made me realise that's not the sort of end goal anymore. It isn't what I want to be doing with this anymore.
1: And you did just mention presenting and hosting, which we're going to talk about later in the show. But first, I want to jump into the next song you've picked for today, Phil. What is it?
0: So the next song I picked is uh, Sissy That Walk by RuPaul. The reason why I picked this, this actually came out around the same time as Shake It Off, but um, I picked it because... It was the song that sort of came out, well, it was the song that got featured on the same season that got me into Drag Race. And I'll say every single time, but you know, if I didn't want to sort of make things to do drag, I would never be doing what I'm doing now. And so I feel like it's very much sort of a song that embodies sort of where I wanted to go with what I do now initially. And it's, I don't know, it's a pretty good song.
1: (laughs) It's a... It's a great song and I'm so excited to play it. It's Sissy That Walk by uh uh Rippaul. Now
0: Sissy That Walk.
1: Listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio, that was RuPaul and Sissy That Walk, and it was chosen by today's guest on the show, Phil Ferguson. Phil, this isn't the first time you've dipped your toes into the media space. You've actually been on the other side of this, the presenting side. You've hosted programs on Channel 7 and Channel 10, and you've presented Junkie's Mardi Gras program, Junkie Gras. How did you end up hosting that?
0: Well... I was actually a guest on it the previous year and so that was sort of how I kind of had already been familiar with it as a format. But um, in the proceedings, in the sort of previous years, wait, what year was that? 2019? So from 2018 sort of onwards, when I was thinking about sort of where I wanted to go with my career, like I was just saying, like I wanted to go the direction of being chilly-filly and doing things, but didn't necessarily mean performing. And because I had done so much media stuff at that point, I was really interested in the idea of being a presenter or producing my own content or just being a producer in general. And I knew that, you know, being chilly-filly on screen was going to be that avenue to get to where um, I wanted to go with my job and career. And so at that point, um, I had already sort of put the feelers out uh, to say, you know, I'm kind of keen on, you know, these, these sorts of roles. Um, and yeah. And so when it came up to that next year, their guys at Instagram were like, Hey, like, we know you're keen on doing all this sort of stuff. Um, we're doing Junkie Grow again. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so that was my first real presenting role, which unfortunately also was like the role that came out just before, We went into lockdown last year. And so the idea of momentum building up off that um, sort of diminished very quickly. But it was a great experience because I knew that I did have potential and be able to do that, Uh, especially uh, the idea of putting it out there and people having confidence that I was able to do it. Um, So, yeah, so we'll see how the next few years roll out. But I have high confidence that, you know, this is the direction I like to be going.
1: But I guess it goes back to what you were saying earlier in the show when I asked if Chili Philly was more than just an Instagram page and you kind of said, well, it's a part of me as well. Because your appearance as a presenter, you're you're wearing the get-up. Yeah. You've got, you've got that hat and everything on it as well. Is that always going to be part of what it means for you to be a host and be a presenter?
0: No, not necessarily. Like, it's one of those things that when I first sort of had the idea of wanting to present, I knew that that would have to be the expectation. It's just really funny because as time is now going on, I realise that people aren't necessarily anticipating that. One of the funny things that happened when I did um, do that junkie grass stuff was uh, the producer said, oh, bring, can you just bring five different outfits? Cause we're doing five episodes. Obviously you need to have a different outfit every episode. In my mind, I was like, oh yeah, five different crochet outfits and when I got there with my suitcase he was like oh wow you brought all this stuff and I was like oh you didn't you say bring five outfits and he was like oh no just like five things of clothing but like yeah cool this is great and so I know on one perspective when I do TV appearances and when I'm on like you know morning shows and you know doing all that sort of stuff they do expect me to sort of be dressed up and sort of be that person but I think I now realize that you know when I do do presenting and stuff like that, that, you know, that isn't necessarily the expectation of me. They want me to just be able to speak and speak properly. Um, and so, you know, that might, so as time will go on, I'm pretty sure that won't be necessarily a thing, but I know when people want me to be on TV as Chilly Philly, that, you know, there might have to be, you know, a great dress on. Yeah. Something like that.
1: And another element too being a person who's on the TV. I do want to step away from the artistic side of it a little bit and talk about gender. Earlier in the show we discussed how you identify as non-binary and Ooh. in some cases you've been the first person on these programs who doesn't identify with a gender. What does it mean to forge that yeah. space and how do you navigate that with you know, trying to represent your community properly and trying to get the pronouns right?
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, because I've identified as non-binary for at least four years, I would say, four or five years. It's been a while. And I had a lot of difficulties with sort of being really open about that, especially amongst the sort of larger queer community, because, you know, even though it is sort of something that is more commonplace within our community, um people still found it very hard to sort of process and accept from, from me that I was sort of openly um, identifying in that way. And so I have always had this sort of pushback in that sort of way. And so I never was particularly comfortable with being really open about it publicly in media and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, over the last few years, when we've had so many discussions about representation and sort of uh, people sort of, you know, being trailblazers for that. I always knew that, you know, I had been given all these opportunities to sort of put myself out there. Uh, I just had never really thought of really forefronting a lot of it because, I don't know, I just wasn't comfortable with... I guess I hadn't been comfortable enough with myself to sort of want to, you know, admit it. Not admit it, but, you know, put it out there. Um, Because, you know... I know as someone who's Asian, you know, that means a lot to other people. But now, like, you know, what other parts of me sort of can other people see in themselves? And so, yeah, so I would say that, like, really only until the last like year or two have I been comfortable with sort of putting it out there publicly. But I also feel like it is also because other people, other actual famous people are really being open and forthcoming with, you know, their own, their own identities. And so, um, I never intend to sort of like put myself out there for attention or anything like that. But I know that if somebody saw me on TV once and saw themselves in me, that, you know, that could mean something to them. Oh,
1: it could be so validating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like I've seen people on TV that I identified with and I've gotten a lot out of that too. And so it is just all about making sure that, you know, people see see themselves out there and if I can be that person given the opportunities I get then sure
1: what what you're talking about is the outward facing side of that and what the audience sees Mm. when they when they're watching someone on the television who doesn't identify with the gender but I want to talk about the other side of that and the production side of that because Mm. you were talking about being a trailblazer before and I I know that on some of the programs that you've been on Mm there haven't even been questions asked about Uh, your gender or your pronouns. Do do you think that you've kind of been forced into advocacy or activism in some way and having to have those conversations with producers and, you know, make that space on the inside?
0: Yeah, it's kind of really interesting because, yeah, this is probably one of the first times I've really been able to openly talk about this sort of stuff because I, I think I've always had in my mind that I'm such a specific person if we talk about sort of personalities like I already exist as sort of the gay crochet artist and so you know adding extra layers of like a like Asian non-binary like all these sorts of levels those barriers still have to be really broken down for that to be necessarily be commonplace and so I've always been really conscious of the fact that you know if people are asking me to be on TV or, you know, I choose to be on TV, it's not necessarily because of some of these other things that I haven't necessarily been um, publicly talking about or even talking about in the process, you know, because, because sometimes they don't bring it up at all. And, but also there isn't an option to talk about it, which is, which is a big deal with me is that like, there are definitely um, sort of opportunities the. Avenue to sort of talk about, you know, ge- my specific gender pronouns or whatever. It just isn't a thing. It just was never a thing. It's either your man or woman, and tick one. Which, like at the time, I was like, well, sure, I'll, you know, I'll pick one of them. But um, the reality is, I shouldn't have to have done that. So on one hand, I never was particularly open about it, but also. I just don't think we're in a current uh, landscape where we are given the opportunities to sort of be able to talk about that sort of thing. And so maybe me, the me being able to talk about these sorts of things now will probably open that up. I have seen watch some TV shows lately where they have like put like pronouns next to the contestants names and sort of like in the first episodes to sort of initiate that sort of thing. But I think it definitely is a thing in Australia that, like, it isn't as commonplace to sort of be thinking in that way. And so whether or not I do things in the future and sort of, like, normalise that it will be a thing for the future. But I will say that it has been hard to sort of break down barriers internally because it's just not on the agenda for a lot of people to sort of be thinking about those sorts of things. And so... Yeah, I've I've seriously never gotten the opportunity to talk about these sorts of things because I just don't think that, um, yeah, it's just something that they feel like needs to be talked about. But thank you for allowing me to, you know.
1: Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you've chosen a song by G Flip. Uh, t- tell me about
0: this song. Why did you pick it? When I initially picked this song, I thought it was a very random song to have picked. But it's about drinking and all this sort of stuff and talking about change, like, I quit drinking alcohol, like, six months ago now, and drinking was such a defined part of, sort of, my existence in Melbourne, you know, going out and all this sort of stuff, and even in lockdown last year, sort of, you know, buying a six-pack of beers and then enjoying them one night and stuff like that, and so I think for a while, i sort of associated that idea of drinking with my, like, Persona and whatever, abstract from all the other things we've talked about. And so uh, now having not drank for six months and kind of really liking it and feeling like, wow, I actually have a lot more control over myself, I kind of really appreciate that I've been able to make that change, but also, like, talk about it. And so uh, this was a song that I I was listening to at the beginning of last year and now kind of talking about it now. I think it's actually maybe a little bit more relevant to me now
1: it's g flip and drink too much you're listening to fbi radio 94.5 with me mia hull and artist phil ferguson i wanna be out to lunch last girl she on me Cause i would drink i would drink i drink Drink Too Much, it was G Flip on FBI Radio 94.5. That song was chosen by my guest on Out of the Box today, artist Phil Ferguson, who joins me right now from Melbourne. Phil, at this stage in the pandemic, you've been through your fair share of lockdowns, and obviously with lockdown, there is a lot of dialogue around the negative impact that has on recording artists. Let's broaden that to artists and creatives in general. What kind of impact has lockdown had on you, Phil?
0: On me specifically, like when at the beginning of last year, before we had lockdown, I got approached, to you know, have an exhibition in LA. I was going to have an exhibition in Queensland. Um, I was going to do film some stuff. I like had all these things that I was going to do and, you know, obviously everything gets the rug gets pulled out from under me and everybody in the whole entire world. And so, yeah, it's just kind of been really strange because, you know, even now, um, like people I know have been, you know, working so hard on, you know, events and festivals and exhibitions and all this sort of stuff. And every time um, it just happens to fall under whenever there's a lockdown or, you know, something happens and it gets taken from under them. And so, yes, like even for me, like I'm super fortunate that a lot of my presence is digital and on the internet. So I've been able to survive in that way specifically. But obviously there's a whole other community that exists physically and in person and even now sort of like doing things virtually just doesn't have the same impact as before last this time last year. And so, yeah, so I was greatly affected by sort of lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. But I'm really fortunate that, yeah, a lot of what I do already exists on the internet. And so being able to sort of continue that, I've been really lucky.
1: Amazing. Phil Ferguson, thank you so much for joining me today no, on thank you. Out of
0: the Box. No, thank you.
1: What, what does the future look like for
0: you? Oh, gosh. Well, it's very hard to know when the next few weeks will.
1: <laughs> yeah, <Yeah. yeah>, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but we'll have to see. I think feel like this more recent lockdown has definitely been a little bit more of a freeing experience for me. I've had so many sort of life changes happen in the last few weeks and sort of a lot of things have happened that have sort of alleviated a lot of stress off my shoulders. So I hope that in the next year or so I'm I'm given the opportunity to do more sort of presenting, producing sort of roles, but also, you know, maybe make more, I would love to have an exhibition or something like that again, because those are things now I've realised I do miss and doing things in person. And so Hopefully, yeah, hopefully in the next year, if we don't need to go into any more lockdowns, um, hopefully I have another exhibition because I feel like it might be a little bit long overdue at this point.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye out for you on the TV screens, maybe with or without the costumes. Mm. What song would you like to end on today?
0: Okay, so the last song I want to play is actually um, by Lady Gaga and it's called Replay. I decided this because her latest album Chromatica came out when we were in lockdown last year and this was the song that I liked the most and so I played it a lot, a lot, a lot uh, during lockdown and I feel like just, you know, given that we're talking about sort of lockdown life and that sort of thing, I felt like it was a good sort of bow tie to our chat.
1: I would like to put on the record that that song was just chosen on the fly. As oh, well. <laughs> <But> <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah, me. <laughs> no, no, no. I just think it's yeah. funny. I just think it's funny. Um, <laughs> we'll jump into that one right now. Did you say it was replay? Yeah, replay. It's replayed by Lady Gaga. <laughs> Lady Gaga. This show is out of the box. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you did want to listen back to the episode, you can do so on the programs page on fbiradio.com. Also on the programs page, I'll put links up to phil's art page so you can see all of their beautiful crochet creations you can also listen back to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts thanks so much for tuning in lunch is around the corner bye I don't know what
0: to do.